Welcome to the VU Church Podcast. In today's bonus message, Pastor Manushka Charles shares on the thought, anxious but anointed. If you're struggling mentally, it can be easy to feel disqualified and isolated. How could God use someone as broken as me? We often define our seasons of difficulty with weakness, but the truth is this, mental health struggles do not discount you from the presence of God. He wants to turn your sigh into a song. To discover more resources on mental health and anxiety, visit vuchurch.com slash breathe. A waiting season doesn't have to be a wasted one. Remember today, this too shall pass. Let's lean into the message together. Week one, Pastor Rich preached, just keep breathing. Week two, the message was on when anxiety attacks, how to attack anxiety. How, How do I attack the anxiety that I'm facing and And as we end this collection, we're not ending the conversation. See, what we've learned is that sermons are a catalyst for change. That the change actually occurs when we talk about it, when we get around people and we process, when we open up, when we're vulnerable. And I believe that this message is just a catalyst, that it is the beginning of a conversation. There's so many more conversations that need to come from this. And as I was thinking, how do we end off this collection? What do we talk about today? I really wanted to go into the life of David. Now, David, he was a man after God's own heart. The Bible describes him. But David faced so much anxiety. He faced so much pressure. And what's so interesting about David's life, not only do we get the story of what he did and who he became, but through the Psalms, we actually get to learn about his emotions. We get to learn the behind the scenes, what he felt like, what was on his heart, what was on his mind. And we first meet David when he's around the age of 15 years old. There's a prophet by the name of Samuel. He goes to David's house and he asks his father, Jesse, he says, He's telling him that he's going to anoint someone as the king of Israel. And so Jesse, he brings out all of his sons. He brings his firstborn to Samuel. And Samuel says, God hasn't chosen him. He brings all of his sons and God's like, I haven't chosen him. And God tells Samuel that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So Samuel says, is there anybody else? Do you have anyone else? And Jesse's like, I have a son, but he's out tending the sheep. And so he brings out David and the Lord says, this is who I will anoint. In 1 Samuel 16, it says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And as I look at David's life, I can make the assumption that him being anointed in front of his brothers was probably not easy for him. See, if we know anything about Jewish culture, everything is reserved to the firstborn. The first person that Jesse brought out to Samuel was his firstborn. So surely this is the one that you want to bless. But David, he was just out tending the sheep. He was overlooked. He was an afterthought. He was unseen. Maybe you're in the room and you feel a little like that. 
Maybe you feel like you're an afterthought. Maybe you, you feel unseen, like, like nobody hears you or sees your issue. But the same way that God noticed David tending sheep, God notices you. It's the reason why he brought you in this room today, because he sees you and he's for you. And now the Bible doesn't go into extensive detail of David's relationship with his brother, but there is this one instance that we see. David and his older brother, he is asked to go out to the battlefield to bring his brothers some food. And in 1 Samuel 17, it says, when Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? That's what you call sibling shade. He's like, where are your little sheep at? Like, what are you doing here? He goes on, he says, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. So his older brother, you can tell the way that he views his younger brother. He's like, you're wicked, your, your heart is conceited. And so David lived this life where although he was anointed to be king, the people who should be celebrating him were looking down on him. The people who should be cheering him on were the very people who thought the least of him. Imagine the pressure. Imagine the anxiety. Imagine the pain of being anointed king and not even being able to celebrate it with your loved ones. So although David was anointed king and, and God was with him, he, he still struggled. You can see throughout the text that David would talk about his struggles. He would talk about his anxiety. He described it in Psalms 94 as great anxiety. And David was anxious, but anointed. I wanna to talk to you from this thought today, anxious, but anointed. Can we pray together? God, we thank you that you are in this room. God, we thank you that you are in this place. And we pray that you would speak, God, that it would be your words, God, not my words, that you would just move however you want to, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. What I've learned is that being a follower of Jesus doesn't exempt us from hurt and pain. That being called by God does not exempt us from going through, that you could be anointed, but still go through anxiety. And I just wanna tell somebody in this room that although you might be going through, it can never discount you from what God wants to do in you and through you. That you might feel like, well, well my anxiety is going to discount me from being used by God or, or my pain and my struggle is going to discount me from being used by God. But I'm telling you that your mental health issues could never discount you from God's presence. It could never remove you from the presence of God. It could never stop God from loving you. It could never stop God from desiring to use you. As I look to the story of Lazarus in John 11, there's some sisters that come up to Jesus and they tell him that, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end unto death. No, it is for the glory of God so that my son could be glorified through it. 
And what I've realized is that even though God loves you, you can still get sick. You can love God, he can love you, and you can still go through. But here was Jesus' reminder to them. He said, this sickness will not end unto death. That this sickness, whatever you're going through, it will not end in death. It will not end you. It will not end in the death of your purpose. It will not end in the death of your dream. This sickness will not end unto death, but it will be for God's glory. That God will get the glory out of all of this. And, and David understood this. That although that he went through trial after trial, thing after thing, that he knew that he could have triumph even in the storm. That even in the midst of his greatest trouble, David always had a song. We see this through the text that there would be moments where David is in deep anguish but still had a praise. That David made a decision in his heart that no matter what I go through, it will not take my worship. We see this in Psalms 13. I believe it does such a beautiful job at capturing what David's life was like. David says this, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? He says, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But he says this, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. See, see, David starts this psalm with a sigh. He starts this psalm heavy. He starts this psalm with this cry, Lord, how long? But he ends it with a song. That he ends it saying that I will praise your name for you have been good to me. It didn't sound like God was good in verse one, but there was some revelation that David had between verse one to the end of the verse that God has still been good to me. That David went from sighing to singing. And I don't know how this week started for you. I don't know how this day started or this month or this year. Maybe it started with a sigh. Maybe it started heavy. Maybe it started with you feeling like you had the weight of the world on your shoulder. But if you allow God to, he can turn your sigh into a song. That if you allow God into your story, that he could give you beauty for ashes. See, some of our favorite Psalms comes from David's deep moments of anguish. Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Psalms 51, create in me a pure heart and renew a right spirit in me. David wrote these in deep moments of desperation. See, some of our favorite songs comes from moments of heartbreak. Like, I'm sorry Adele had to go through what she went through, but we got some fire music. 
I love R&B. And there were some songs that I would sing like when I was younger, and I was like, why was I singing that? It's like 1996, I'm six years old, and I'm like, unbreak my heart, say you love me again. Like you're six, nobody broke your heart. But thank God for Toni Braxton. I don't know what she had to go through for that song, but it's a banger. Like if David lived in this day and age and he was white, he'd probably be a country singer if he was black. He'd be an R&B artist. If he was Spanish, he'd probably be Camilo. I don't know. Like, he wrote from the deep parts of himself. Like, he used every ounce of his emotion to write. And some of you need to attach a different song to your season. You have been singing the wrong melody that God wants to give you a new song in this season. Through everything that David went through, he could still write things like Psalms 34 that said, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be on my lips. Like David, he struggled. He went through a lot. David dealt with grief, depression, PTSD, childhood trauma. David went through it all. It was Charles Spurgeon who said, whenever you look into David's Psalms, you may some way or another see yourselves. That as we look to the Psalms, we can, we can see ourselves. We can see ourselves in moments of hurt and pain and confusion and not being sure if God's gonna move or speak on our situation or on our behalf. But, but David still had his song. David was a man after God's own heart, but his heart went through a lot that he lost his best friend, Jonathan. His baby with Bathsheba died. His son, Absalom, was killed. He had to face all these different things through life. As a teenager, he had killed lions and he had killed bears and, and he had been unloved and he was mistreated and he was overlooked. And then David was on, a, on the run and then he moved into a space where he was a celebrity. People were singing, David has killed his 10,000s and Saul his thousands. David had to deal with the pressures of life that he killed people. He watched people that he loved died all while having to be king. There was somebody who knew pressure and anxiety was David. It's been said that veterans don't come home from war, but they bring the war with them. I can't imagine what David carried. One in five veterans, six months after they return home, they deal with severe depression or anxiety. I can't imagine the pressure that was on David's life. And so in Psalms 13, he, he asked four times, God, how long? God, will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face from me forever? God, how long? Wouldn't it be so easy to endure what we had to endure if we knew how long? God was like, you'll only be broke for a year and three months. Well, thank you, Lord, I can make it through. Like, if I only knew how long, I'd be good. The other day, I went to Universal Studios, Islands of Adventure, and I'm not sure why I went, because I, I, like, hate rides. I hate roller coasters. I hate things that drop, that spin. Anything, like, I just don't like any of that stuff. And so I, I went to Universal, and the really cool thing is that you can look how long that it'll take for you to get on a ride. 
So I can choose 90 minutes, I'm good. 30 minutes, all right, that's right up my alley. But I told myself, I was like, I gotta get on at least one roller coaster. I was like, just one. It could even be a small baby one, but I gotta get on one. So I would walk up to all these different attendants. I'd say, how long is this ride? Okay, how, how far is the drop? And I finally found the ride that I felt like it suited me. They was like, all right, the drop's 17 feet. I said, I could do 17 feet. But I still didn't trust the attendant. And so this is what I did. I went on YouTube and I Googled and I, the ride. I said, I'm going to watch the entire ride. So what I did was before I went on the line, I watched the ride. Because I'm not going to step in this ride and not know how much it's going to turn and twist. I got to know in advance. It probably tells you a little bit about me, right? Just like, I don't want surprises. But wouldn't it be cool if you could just be like, well, God, can you just show me the twists and turns in this next season? Like, can I just get some, some insight? Like, it would be, be really cool if we could just see what was ahead, but we can't. We, we don't know how long. Like, I don't, I don't know how long you're gonna have to face depression. I don't know how long you're going to have to deal with what you're dealing with. I don't know how long it's gonna take you to find the right doctor. I don't, I don't know how long it's gonna take you to find the right therapist. I, I don't know how long. But I do know what we can do in the waiting. I do know that even while we're waiting for a miracle, there's, there's something that we can do that we can partner with God for our miracle. That we can partner with God for the miracle to happen. We see throughout the text, whenever there was a miracle that was to take place, there was always partnership with God. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he took loaves and he took fish and he brought it together to make the miracle happen. When Naaman wanted to be healed, he had to dip in the Jordan seven times that you can partner with God for your miracle. I know you're probably waiting for the right thing or the right answer, and I'm believing that it's going to come, but what will you do when you wait? What are you gonna do in the middle of the wait? And I just wanna talk to you about some practical ways to help you if and when you feel like anxiety is overtaking you. Because there's some things that don't require a miracle. I know because we always want God to do the big thing. Like I was like, God, give me a deep word. And he's like, I'm gonna give you some things that don't require a miracle. Some things that you can do today that can help you. See, anxiety disorders are the most common mental health issue in the US. There are over 40 million adults that deal with anxiety. And studies say that they are highly treatable, yet only 36% of those suffering receive treatment. So that means that you, you might be in this room and you're struggling, but maybe you, you've been struggling in silence. Maybe you've been suffering in silence. Maybe you've been going through it alone. Maybe you've been too afraid to go to the doctor because you don't know what they're going to say. So, well, well, if they diagnose me, then it's going to be real. If I find out that I have a problem, then, then it becomes real. But I'm telling you, your diagnosis is not your destiny. That it's okay to seek the help that you need. 
Once you identify the issue, then you can actually attack it. There's some people in this room, you have to seek help. You have to go find the help that you need. God's like, I can work a miracle, but I need to partner with you. God will do what you can't, not what you won't. That there is a responsibility on your side. God's like, you can do it. You can open up, you can talk about it, you can be vulnerable, you can share your broken places. There, there's certain things that don't require a miracle. And I grew up in a house where we had home remedies. Anybody had like home remedies? Like your parents would tell you, drink ginger ale, lay down, and everything's gonna be okay, or tea fixed everything. I'm like, mom, my arm's broken. Tea is not gonna work. But I believe that there's some home remedies, some things that you can do to help combat the anxiety you might face. There are things that you can do to help you in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the struggle. So the first thing that you can do starting tonight is get some rest. Some of you just need to go to bed on time. 3 a.m. is not a bedtime. I was like, God, I need a deep word. He said, go to sleep. <laughs> go to bed. Stop binge watching TV. I was like, wow. That's a word. I don't know. There's research that talks about the effects of binge watching. Uh, but to be honest, I didn't need research. I've done my own research. Anybody have... Y'all lying. Y'all know y'all binge watch TV. I've done my own research. I didn't need a researcher to tell me that it's not good for me, but, but I've realized the effects sometimes because what we'll do is we'll say, well, well, I need to distract myself. So let me, let me turn on the TV. I need to distract myself. The other day, people were talking about this show, and I was like, I really want to watch the show. I'm not going to tell you what the show is because you're going to judge me, but you probably watched it too. And I was like, I, I really want to watch this show that everybody's talking about. And so I have to, like, schedule my TV time. I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch TV tonight. It's like an activity. I was telling my friends, I was like, guess what I'm doing tonight? I'm watching TV. And so I was like, all right, I got home. I got everything ready. You know, you like kind of prep the, 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 the binge watching. And so I got everything all ready. And, you know, I started watching. And then I looked at the time and it was three o'clock in the morning. And I was like, I feel horrible. I don't feel good. And there was two more episodes left. But I was like, I can't bring myself to staying up till 5 a.m. to find out what happens. I was like, I'm gonna go to bed. And I tried to go to bed and my mind is racing. I'm like, what happened to that character? What do you think, what do you think happened? So I Googled it. I never watched the rest of the show. And once I found out, I don't need to watch anymore. But, but I found that my mind was racing. I couldn't get any rest because I was thinking about all these different things. And I, I think about in our day and age that we live in all the things that are distracting us and all the things that are convoluting our mind. And we're, we're trying to process all these emotions. So our mind is like, well, I'm trying to process your emotions, but then I'm trying to process that show that you watch. And then you're on Instagram. And so now your mind's trying to process you seeing that your friend went out to that lunch that they didn't invite you to. And I'm trying to process that and then I went on Facebook and I saw my friends on vacation at Facebook and I was like well now I want to go on vacation and then I saw somebody got a Tesla and I want a Tesla so I went on Tesla.com to see how much a Tesla costs and I looked at my bank account and like dang I can't get a Tesla and now I'm depressed 
and our minds is like, I can't compute all of this information that we have taken all of these things and all of this content and we're feeding our minds with all of these things and we're wondering why we can't have any rest because you have not given your mind a break. God's like, I need you to get true rest. Stop putting things into your mind. Stop feeding your mind things that it can't even handle. It's like, you need to get rest. That you don't need another vacation. You need to rest. That you need to rest holistically. God's like, I need you to rest your mind, and I need you to rest your spirit, and I need you to rest your soul, and everything that you're distracting yourself with is not giving you rest. like sometimes you don't need deliverance you need discipline that you need to be in a place where where you're you're allowing your mind to rest that you're allowing your soul to rest that you're resting in God's presence and maybe you're like well, well I have trouble sleeping maybe take a melatonin talk to somebody do not suffer and not get the help that you need You need rest. Another home remedy, exercise. You you know how I know we were meant to exercise? Jesus walked everywhere. He walked everywhere he went. And studies show that exercise can treat mild to moderate depression as effectively as an antidepressant that if you walk for an hour or run for 15 minutes, it can have the same effect. And so our bodies, we we need to be asking ourselves, am I doing what is going to help me physically, mentally, spiritually? What do I need to do? About two months ago, I I got together with some friends and, and we're like, all right, we're never going to miss a Monday. Every Monday we're gonna work out. And we decided on this because we wanted to be strategic with how we treat our Mondays. Because in our society, we have been told that Mondays are horrible. We've been told that Mondays is gonna be a bad day no matter what, we're gonna step into our Monday. And so in our minds, we step into Mondays defeated. And then our Tuesdays were depleted and then Wednesdays hump day and and Thursdays are horrible and we're not happy until happy hour on Friday. And so we're living our lives waiting for Fridays. And so how can we have true joy if we think that we can only be happy two days out of the week? That that we need to get into our minds that, that I'm going to start strong, that I'm going to step in and reprogram my mind to think that every day that God has given me is a day that's blessed. The Bible says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So if God gave me the day, I'm going to have joy. I'm going to get up. I'm going to exercise. The third thing is eating and drinking. What are we putting inside of our bodies? And now I'm not here to say that you need to be keto or vegan or this or that. But what do you need to incorporate into your body so that you can be healthier? says your brain and your nervous system depend on nutrition to build new proteins and cells and tissues. Your body is depending on the right things in order for it to be strong. I had a friend tell me, I don't like the taste of water. I said, what does that mean? What do you, what do you mean? You need to just, I know I don't drink water. I'm like, you don't, you, how? It's like, 
drink it. Like, do, do what your body needs. Jesus would often tell people when he healed them, he said, go and sin no more. Or he would tell them, take up your bed and walk. The way that I interpret that text is go and live differently. Do something different. You want to see different results. You want to be better. You want to become who God has called you to be. You might have to try something different. This past weekend, I heard a pastor named Dr. Anita Phillips. She was, she was teaching on this thing called the vagus nerve. And now the vagus nerve is the longest nerve in your body. It connects your brain to many parts of your body, to, to many different organs, that it has an impact on your mental health. And see, the thing about the vagus nerve is that if you increase the tone of your vagus nerve, that it allows you to be able to process stress better. That the increased level of tone in your vagus nerve can help you process stress. And many of us, the reason why we deal with certain things is because we're not sure how to process some of our stress. We don't know how to process our anxiety or process our hurt and process our pain, but, but this nerve, this specific thing that it does, it stimulates something in your body that helps you to process information. In 2010, researchers discovered a positive feedback loop between high tone in your vagus nerve and positive emotions and good health. And so there's certain things that you can do to stimulate your vagus nerve. And one of the things that you can do to stimulate your vagus nerve is deep and slow breathing. That when you take time to breathe in and breathe out, it stimulates that nerve. And there's this breathing technique, it's called five, seven, eight. And this technique is a technique that you can use if, if maybe you're in a moment of feeling a little bit anxious. If you're feeling like, well, I can't catch my breath or I can't control my breathing or, or I'm hyperventilating, this five, seven, eight technique can help. And so for five seconds, it's inhaling. And this number five represents God's grace. And then you hold it for seven. Seven is the number of completion. God created for six days, seven days. The seventh day, he rested. And then exhaling for eight. This is the number of new beginnings. And so as you practice this technique, it's reminding yourself, I'm breathing in God's grace. I'm breathing in his love. I'm, I'm breathing in his mercy. And then I hold to the fact that it is already done, that it is already finished. Whatever I'm worried about, whatever that's got my mind all twisted, that, that he's, he's got it all together. And then as I exhale for eight seconds, there's new beginnings that I let go of the pressure and I step into all the new that God has for me. That you can take control of your breath and you can take control of your breathing. Another way to stimulate your vagus nerve is by socializing and laughing. If you come to church and you don't meet anybody or you haven't talked to anybody or haven't taken some time to socialize, you're missing out on the fullness of what God wants to do in you and through you. 
that he's created the body of Christ so that we could have community. I think about why we have small groups and why we have crews and you can get in a crew tomorrow because it will stimulate your vagus nerve. That getting around people, socializing and laughing. I was preaching at a church one time and they laughed at none of my jokes. I was like, I'm taking my jokes back. But laughing, there's this freedom in laughter, this, this freedom when we can be, be loose and, and to say, I can laugh at that. That's okay. It's, it's all right to laugh and have joy. Another way that the vagus nerve is stimulated is through singing, humming, and chanting. And the vagus nerve is connected to your vocal cords and the muscles at the back of your throat. And singing, humming, and chanting can activate these muscles and stimulate your vagus nerves. And I have found one of the most powerful home remedies for me has been worship. And I believe that David realized the same thing, that he never allowed his depression to take his dance that he didn't allow his worry to take his worship. He didn't let his sorrow take his song. That David would sing, that David would dance, that, that David would take even the hardest situations and praise God in the middle of it. See, I, I don't know what you're going through, but I can encourage you today to not allow it to take your song. There's something powerful when we worship. Martin Luther, the Protestant Reformation leader said this, music is hateful and intolerable to the devil. I truly believe and do not mind saying that there is no art like music next to theology. It is the only art next to theology that can calm the agitations of the soul which plainly shows that the devil, the source of anxiety and sadness, flees from the sound of music as he does from religious worship. That is why scriptures are full of psalms and hymns in which praise is given to God. That is why when we gather around God's throne in heaven, we shall sing his glory. Music is the perfect way to express our love and devotion to God. It is one of the most magnificent and delightful presents God has given us. I think it's so beautiful to think that we step into this space and our desire and our heart is to give glory and worship to God, but it is a gift to us. That the worship is for him, but it does something in us and through us. It does something to us when we hear people singing. There's something that happens in the room when you lift up your voice and worship God. That maybe the person next to you doesn't have the strength to sing, but by your very voice that it gives them the strength that they need. When the worship team comes up here, it's, it's not a concert, it's not a performance, we're just not wa watching them sing, but we are invited into the song. That we are invited to become worship leaders, we are invited to become the Levites. That God does something through worship. A few years ago in 2018, I got into a car accident. Got into this car accident in Mexico and, and was in a coma for 10 days. And I remember waking up, being confused, feeling hopeless, feeling like my purpose and my dreams and everything that I thought my life was going to be was gone. I had no hope for the future. I 
couldn't see past the moment that I was in. And I remember thinking, well, maybe my life will always be this way. Maybe I'll always be in a hospital and people will always have to take care of me and I'll never be able to do anything on my own. I remember being in a room full of people and although I was in a room full of people, they had no idea the pain and the anxiety that I was going through. That I felt like this internal battle in my mind and in my heart that, that no one could sense it. No one knew what I was facing. That a room full of people but still felt alone. Still felt hopeless still felt like I I didn't have a future and and I was battling with this anxiety and I was battling with this hurt and battling with with not knowing what my future would look like. And I remember all that I could do to ease my anxiety was put on worship. See, I couldn't sing my my diaphragm, the very thing that we breathe out of. It was was injured too. I, I, I couldn't sing. I didn't have a song. My voice was gone. I had been intubated for so long that I could barely get a few words out. I didn't have a song. I barely had breath. But even in my moments of deep anxiety, I remember just playing worship. And even though I didn't have the strength to sing, Even though I didn't have the strength to pray or read my Bible, I had the strength for none of it. All I could do is just believe and allow music and worship to wash over me. I don't know if there's somebody in this room that feels like you don't have the strength to sing. You don't have the strength to worship. Then you come into a place like this and you look to your right, you look to your left and people are singing from the top of their lungs and they're lifting up your hands and you're just like, well, God, I just don't feel it. God, I know you're good, but I don't, I don't feel it. But I believe even being in the room and allowing his presence to wash over you does something in you and through you that maybe you don't have the strength in the season, but somebody next to you does. You might not have strength in this season, but the people in this room do. That there are people that are saying, I I know that you don't have your song. I know that you feel like you've lost your worship. I know that you feel like you've lost your strength. But you've got people in this room that said, I will sing over you. That there's something powerful when we come together in worship. In 2 Chronicles 20, There's a king by the name of King Jehoshaphat. And he's getting ready to go into battle, but he's not sure if he can win. And God sends a Levite to give him a word. And he says, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Whatever you're battling today, the battle is not yours, it's God's. That the fight is not yours, it's God's. That whatever you're going through, it's not yours, it's God's. 
says, tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the gorge. He says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. See, God's gonna fight your battle, but you've gotta face it. That he wants to fight your battle, but you've got to face it. That you've got to stand in the face of depression and saying, I know a God who's gonna fight my battle. That you can stand in the face of suicidal thoughts and say, I know a God who's gonna fight my battle. That I can stand in the face of anxiety and say, I know a God who will fight my battle. God's gonna fight your battle. And it says, then the Levites, these are the worship leaders, stood up and praised the Lord their God with a very loud voice. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him in the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, The Lord set ambush against the men and they were defeated. So what King Jehoshaphat did was something that didn't really make any sense. They were in war, they were in battle. What you, you think that you would put your strongest in the front. You think that you would put your strongest warriors in the front. But what King Jehoshaphat said is, I'm gonna put the worshipers on the front line. That I'm going to put the worship leaders on the front line. Why? Because he had an understanding that praise was a weapon. That praise could confuse the enemy. And so no matter what you're going through, I believe that you can put worship on the front line. That no matter what you're facing, that my worship is going to go before my worry, that my song is going to go before my sorrow, that I don't know what you're facing, but worship could be on the front line. That God said, I need you to put your worship on the front line. I know you're facing something that's difficult. I know you're facing something that doesn't make sense, but can you put your worship on the front line? See, we believe in doctors and we believe in therapists and we believe in medicine, but we also believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that when he steps up into a room, that healing has to take place, that freedom's got to take place, that you can't stay the same if he's in the room. And so I wish I had just a few people who would say, I'm getting ready to put worship on the front line, that I'm gonna put your glory on the front line, that I'm putting worship on the front line, that my praise is a weapon, my worship is a weapon, that I'm gonna use my voice, I'm gonna use my dance, whatever I've got to do, that I will not lose my worship in this season. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with friends. It helps so much. For more content from VU and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com.